Hey guys, just to let you know, this particular episode of Conversations About Dot 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 is going to be part of the NSC Roadshow. Here's an opportunity to get to hear about some awesome Kickstarters, writers, artists, and inkers and different things like that, different people who are involved in creating their own Kickstarter campaigns. You can join up on these campaigns. You can go support these campaigns. And all you have to do is go to www.inkedmarketing in order to find out more about these wonderful Kickstarter projects as they go. Thank you for joining us. Let's get ready for the show. The show starts in five, four, three, two, one, go. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another fun-filled, fun-packed episode of Conversations About Dot Dot Dot. My name is Will. And today I get the honor and privilege to talk to another wonderful Kickstarter. Today I get to talk to Sean Hainsworth uh, concerning uh, his Kickstarter, The Killing Machine. Uh, from what I understand about Sean, he is the creator of SHP Comics, uh, lifelong sci-fi fans, samurai movies. Oh, we got stuff to talk about there. Uh, spaghetti westerns and all sorts of things, written and studied film and screenplays and different things like that produces thought-provoking and action-packed comic books and graphic novels. So today we're going to get the opportunity to get to know Sean a lot better and get the chance for him to talk about his Kickstarter campaign. So first of all, say hello to everybody, Sean. Hello, everybody. Happy to be here. Thanks for hosting me. Glad to have you here. So everybody has an origin story. Now, some people are trained on a rival tribe and they get taught how to be shinobi and they go through these undercover missions and different things and sometimes they don't survive. And then other times, uh, they're the man with no name. But there may not be the man with no name. But the point is, is that everybody has an origin story. So we'd like for you to talk, talk a little bit about yourself, talk about where you grew up, anything about your family you'd like to talk about, anything you geeked out to as a kid, different things like that. Kind of walk us from the beginnings to kind of where how we got to this point and go from there. I'll let you talk. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. So I, I definitely, um, you know, geeked out. I was, I was a triumph of the nerds generation. Um, so I was born in 66. Uh, I was 11 when Star Wars came out. Um, me and my friends went crazy gaga over Star Wars. Never seen anything like it. Um, pretty soon we had a Super 8 camera and we were making uh, our own movies in the basement. Um, you know, way into the early video games. I had an Atari 2600. My friend had an Intellivision. Another friend had a ColecoVision. Um, so we were always playing video games, um, you know, and sci-fi was just with Star Wars, sci-fi was just huge, you know, on TV, there was, you know, Space 1999, and they rebooted Buck Rogers, and, you know, all of that, that was kind of the, the earth that I grew in, you know, creatively it was just, uh, you know, being a kid of that generation. Um, and uh, uh, actually, then I, uh, I ended up doing a lot of theater in college, I directed some plays, I acted in some plays, I kind of got the theater bug. Um, and uh, I worked in uh, some regional theaters for a while after I graduated. Um, I was at uh, Trinity Rep in Rhode Island. I grew up in Rhode Island. Uh, I was out in Seattle Rep, um, you know, just kind of uh, doing whatever I could do to, to plug into the theater community. Um, but, uh, but eventually, you know, no pay and no health insurance and everything else drove me, uh, drove me out of the theater world. And uh, I found a home um, programming computers. A friend of mine called me up and said, hey, come out and I can teach you how to program computers and you can, you know, you can make a good living out here. So I moved to San Francisco 
and uh, I got work as a computer programmer. Um, and uh, eventually I made my way onto sort of, uh, you know, what's known as machine learning, artificial intelligence, um, which has been really interesting to see how that field has grown because I think we've speculated and science fiction has speculated so much about artificial intelligence. Um, it's really interesting to be part of the generation now where so much of this stuff is, is really um, coming to fruition you know, everything from, you know, Alexa and, um, you know, self-driving cars and image recognition and things are just amazing right now. Um, and I think we're just at the beginning of what's going to be, you know, sort of a, a revolution in AI, probably for better or worse. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways the technologies can be misused, but mm -hmm. it's also an exciting time. Um, I, I studied film in college. Um, I made a bunch of documentaries um, at one point. Um, after I graduated, I, um, I traveled around the world. I was in um, Philippines, I was in Vietnam, I was in South Africa and Malawi and um, made a lot of documentary films. Um, and that was really interesting. Um, my kids were born and I um, mostly became a dad, um, but I always had this desire to write um, stories. Um, and uh, was always drawn to sci-fi. Um, I think partially what I love about sci-fi is that it, you know, has the 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 open creative, you know, um, vistas that a lot of you know genres do. But sci-fi also blends in this kind of, um, you know, more um, cerebral kind of asking the big questions about life, the universe, and everything. And that always mm -hmm. appealed to me as well. Um, so you know, eventually I, I wrote a bunch of screenplays. Um, but um, I got, I was also into comic books and I was like, you know what? I really want to make these as comic books. I, I, I just love comic books as a medium. And uh, I love the process of uh, working with an artist. I'm, I'm completely untalented um, when it comes to, um, you know, drawing. Um, so, um, but I love the collaborative process. And so uh, I started the comic book company and I've got three comics launching, um, you know, this year. So we've got the Killing Machine up now. Um, I've got a comedy of horrors, a vampire comedy of horrors about a vampire at Woodstock called Woodstake coming up next. Okay. And then, um, you know, back to the AI realm a little bit, I've got a comedy about a, um, a sex robot company. So it's kind of like the office, uh, with sex robots. So those are the three oh, that are coming out. Yeah. Okay. But focusing on the killing machine right now, cause that's the first one. Right. Gotcha. 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 So let's talk a little bit about the, there is a line in the profile that I thought was really interesting. Uh, you said the that the that the, uh, the idea of the killing machine started when you were watching a lot of samurai movies from the 1950s and 60s. The original concept was that Richter was a masterless samurai, a robot war robotic warrior lost during a battle who wandered the galaxy in search for purpose. So I want to know what samurai movies you watched. Well, like, I. I got really, so I really like Japanese cinema in general. Um, you know, and I watched a lot of the, the Kurosawa films. I mean, I think Yojimbo was the one that really got my head spinning mm -hmm. on the idea of, um, you know, the wandering masterless samurai. Um, but, um, you know, watched a lot of other um, samurai movies. Um, you know, there's just, there's just, uh, you know, so many of them. Um, uh, but there's so many good ones. That's what's really amazing. Once you sort of push beyond, you know, Kurosawa and Mifune and, and the things that are really well known, um, there's just a, a, a lot of really great films out there. Um, you know, so we could go in more detail about some of them. I, I love a film called um, Hari Kitty or Harry Carey, um, uh, which has a kind of amazing 
concept to it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this idea of, uh, of this incredible masterless fighter, you know, just kind of wandering around without direction, because once the samurai was detached from his Lord and from, you know, um, his purpose, he really is just, you know, just nothing really just wandering around the countryside. Um, and, uh, I love that idea as applying it to science fiction where, you know, there was this incredible robotic warrior and being a robot once again, had no purpose, um, and, uh, and I like the idea, I've always been drawn to stories about, um, you know, robots um, uh, and the concept of what is life, you know, and, mm -hmm. and the whole, the, the story begins with a quote, um, you know, how do we seek the spark of life? Function is not being, algorithm is not thought, right? But as robots can function more like human beings and as algorithm gets us closer to human level performance or beyond human level performance in, in certain areas, what is that spark? What makes us unique and special? And, and part of it has to do with, you know, our purpose, our spark, our soul. And uh, so that was that was the idea that that started me off down this path. Okay. Interesting. Interesting there. I, I it's weird. Growing up, I was more into the martial arts flick. I didn't get a whole lot of samurai flicks. I wasn't really exposed to that a whole lot until seeing the Seven Samurai uh, movie. And then seeing some of the stuff that it, spar it spawned off, you know, like, for example, there was an anime uh, loosely based on the Seven Samurai story, but it was a lot more cyberpunk slash steampunk oriented. Like, there were a lot more mechs and things like that, of course, because it's anime based. And so it's really interesting to see that. But just the idea, I think one of my favorite things I ever wrote was Ronin. That was, uh, it was written by Frank Miller back yeah. in the day. And so I read that, I think my dad had it. It was another one of those comic books that like my mom would see and she'd just be like, okay, no, we're not letting you read those. You know, you can read, here's Archie, you know, go read that. And it's like, okay, there's no Ronin to Archie. Like it, it's really nice and clean. Like if a Ronin showed up, how would that work? So I mean, my head would always work in like crossover mode. Like, so if the samurai that I saw in this, like if Batman showed up in Riverdale, how would that work? Like, what would bad guys be like in Riverdale? Was it, well, there are no bad guys in Riverdale, really. For the longest time, it was just kind of, everything was always super optimistic, super bright, super cheery. And so there was a part of me that always was interested in that world. You know, the ideas of being bound by honor, to be, you know, for example, if you, you know, bound to a lord, for example, and that you did everything for that lord. And if you were cast out, how that affected you? You know, because that sense of purpose does tend to go away if what you've known all your life is serve the Lord, do what the Lord says, do. But then to not have that there, it's like, you, especially if you've lived that from like childhood, like a lot of the movies and premises, these are people that have been grown up into this tradition. So how do you go from that? So, and it yeah, also- Yeah, Oh, sorry, I was going to say, there's a great, a great one called Samurai Rebellion. Mm -hmm. um, and Mifuni plays a samurai whose Lord is corrupt. And uh, it's about the, the moral decision that he has to make, whether he's going to support this corrupt Lord or whether he's going to rebel. Um, and, uh, and that's really interesting. Like when your whole life has been serving a Lord and then you realize that your whole life has been in service of someone who's morally corrupt, mm -hmm. how, do you, what, how do you deal with that? So sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, oh, no, okay. I, I love no. that stuff. Yeah, and that's the thing. Also, you mentioned in the bio about how Star Wars changed your life. Now, I have friends who were around when the first Star Wars dropped. Talk to me about that experience. Yeah, you know, it was just, well, I was 11, and I remember one of my friends saw it, and he was like, you have to see this movie. It was the coolest thing. And, um, 
and you know, I went to the movie as soon as I could, and it was the coolest thing. I think just, um, you know, what's interesting now is if you go back and you look at um, the Buck Rogers and the Flash Gordon serials from the 1930s, the things that inspired Lucas, um, you know, the Buck Rogers has got the scrolling text at the beginning and, um, and you know, the episodic nature with, you know, Star Wars starting with episode four. And so, um, you know, now, and, and then of course, now we know that Lucas was inspired by samurai movies and, you mm -hmm. know, et cetera, et cetera. But at the time, as an 11 year old, it was just a world that, uh, it was just a movie that, you know, just, you know, just transported us to someplace we had never been and, and, and just, you know, had such a satisfying narrative arc um just you know he was also influenced by joseph campbell and you know these ideas of um kind of uh you know common mythical heroes but um mm -hmm. but yeah I, I think it just had such a hold on us because it was well you know everybody i mean most people love star wars for the same reasons just a great story it's set in a you know kind of a perfect mythical setting we've got the you know the the young hero torn between the dark father and the and the good father you know the Kenobi and the Vader. Actually, I remember seeing uh, some movie in Dutch and uh, the guy signed the, uh, a letter at the end, Vader. And that's when I realized that Vader is Dutch for father and Darth Vader is dark father, you know, must be dark father. I didn't realize that when I was 11. I just, hmm. once again, it just kind of took us and, and it just spun up our imaginations and, and we were off. Cool. Cool. I, like I said, I have friends who talk about being there for the first one. And I, for me, I think for me, like I wasn't, in a lot of the movies early on for the first arc of the Star Wars series, I think for me, my experience is more of the trilogy, the prequel trilogy. So it's like the Phantom Menace and different things like that. And so I remember being in the theater in episode two when Yoda shows up and he kind of comes in with the little click of the cane. And I'm like, and we're all stood up. Like it was like 20, 30 of us all stood up and all yelled out, all hail the king has arrived. <laughs> because at that moment we knew like wait we're gonna get to see how powerful yoda is like just the way yeah. he walked in it was like assume not you know like he tells you luke assume not my strength by my size you know and i was like oh this is young yoda it's <laughs> about to go down and so we're just sitting there standing there waiting on it. And he pulls a lightsaber out. He's like, much to learn you have. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I no. love that scene where he's flipping around. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Yoda, be like, hey, Dooku, you might want to step away from this one. <laughs> this ain't going to go well <laughs> for you. Like, we just watched in amazement. And so that for me was more that experience. Of course, I'd seen the Star Wars movies prior. But it always made me wonder, like, well, what was Yoda like in his prime? Who else ran with him? What was yeah. Obi-Wan like in his prime? I mean, of course, we're getting Disney Plus. We're getting this year, I believe, the Obi-Wan series. So we're going to be getting the uh, Ewan McGregor coming back as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And also, of course, Hayden Christensen coming back as a young Vader. And so, of course, it's like, there's a rematch that I didn't know I needed to see until you tell me it's coming. And I was like, yeah. okay, okay. So now he's embraced the dark side fully. He's had some time with it. Now we're going to get to see a battle because an older Jedi versus an embraced Dark Lord. Like that's going to be cool. And so it, I love how that fills out the story. So the yeah, next, it's a, that moment in Star Wars where he's like, you know, once you were the learner and now, you know, you know that these two characters have an incredible amount of history mm -hmm. that's, that's, you know, hinted at, 
Um, but you, we, I never realized we would get so much of that backstory and now even more of that backstory, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So the next thing I'm going to ask now, you talked about the inspirations. We talked about the inspirations for the killing machine. So let's talk about as much as we can about the killing machine without spoiling the stuff. Yeah. Because we want people to be able to get into the campaign. We want them to be able to get the books in their hands and be able to start reading this story. Yeah. So this, I, I think, you know, um, so just to start off with, this is a story I've been sitting with for like 10 years. So it started out um, with this idea of a masterless samurai, robotic samurai, robot, robot ro Ronin is what somebody called it, which I like. Um, but it's evolved a lot since then. Um, and it's a big story, um, you know, and I've, I've written, you know, hundreds of pages of, you know, um, you know, prose and I've written it up as a screenplay and, uh, you know, et cetera. So um, there's a lot going on, but it's going to be two books, seven issues each. Um, two graphic novels. So we're on issue one right now, but it's planned to be 14 issues, two books. Um, and um, yeah, you know, one of the things with the Kickstarter, it's been a little bit of a, a hard to get an elevator pitch for this one because it's a big story and it's a complex story in the sense of um, we've got this main robotic Ronin character. His name is Richter. Um, and, um, but then there's, um, you know, a, a lot of other story that fits around it. And issue one takes up sort of in the middle of things. Issue one is kind of like my episode four, you know, mm -hmm. there's a lot that happened before this. Um, and, um, and so I'm really throwing you right in the middle of the action. The, the main thing that I want here is that, you know, it's, it's action packed. It's gotta be fun. Um, the characters, you gotta really care about the characters. And, um, you know, there's got to be kind of a big, thoughtful story arc to it. Um, so, you know, in the Kickstarter campaign, I talk about the, the series is called The Hand of God. And I talk about what the hand of God is. And the, the motivating idea for the series is that, um, you know, the question it asks is, what if we found the source of life on Earth? Like, what if we actually found some object that was responsible for sort of the chemical composition, the amino acids, the things that led to life on Earth? Um, one of the things that inspired me for that is that there was a theory out there that some of the building blocks of life actually landed on the earth via an extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial object, like an asteroid or something. But if we, what if we found this object and what, you know, what, what would that mean? And there's sort of three, um, three camps that spring up around it. There's one group that feel that it's proof of the existence of God, that this thing is the hand of God. It's where God touched the earth and created life. Um, there are other people who believe that, no, this would, may have been planted by an alien race um, and maybe that, you know, life was seeded by an alien race. And then there's other people who feel like, no, this could just be a random galactic spore, you know, that these chemical, these, you know, these things that have the, the chemical building blocks of life may just be other compounds and objects that are floating around the universe. Um, so that's sort of the idea that motivates um, the story. But um, you know, then it gets into warfare between different, you know, different, um, you know, races, the human race, and there's two different alien races, and it's a big story. So it's hard to shrink down into the elevator pitch. But in issue one, you're going to get, you know, good action, good characters, and you're going to turn the last page, and I hope really want to pick up the next issue um, and, and see how this story evolves over time. So it sounds like we got a definite good hook for that second, that, that first end of the first issue. I like that. So the script, the screenplay for this has won some accolades. Uh, let me read the list to make sure I got this right. Quarterfinalist to the Shore Scripts TV Pilot Contest 2021, Portland Screenplay Award Semifinalist, and Filmmatic Quarterfinalist. 
talk about that experience for a little bit. Yeah, you know, and actually, um, I actually find as a writer, doing a screenplay is great, um, even if I'm planning on doing it as a comic book later for a couple reasons. One, it's a different way of thinking about the story, which I really like. Um, and uh, it, it's bigger than a comic book. You still have to pare down from a screenplay to a comic book because you have less dialogue and you've got to choose your images really carefully because you don't have the same kind of, you know, screen time and moving images and pans and zooms and that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But also with, there's a whole vibrant community of screenwriter play competitions out there and you can get some really good feedback. Um, and uh, I always feel like I need to get pulled out of myself. Like I've written this draft, I think it's really good but I know that it could be better. And, um, and a lot of the feedback I get in these different um, competitions is useful. And then getting the accolades helps. It lets me know I'm on, on to a story that has got some, you know, some, some uh, you know, will generate some interest. And uh, it just kind of keeps me going, gives me good feedback. Um, but yeah, I was thrilled to get those. And um, actually for a different screenplay, the screenplay for Woodstake, I um, was invited to the Austin Film Festival this year. That was a second rounder and I got to, um, you know, attend a bunch of conference uh, events on screenwriting and meet a bunch okay. of screenwriters. And that was awesome as well. So yeah, it just keeps me, keeps me active, gives me a lot of feedback. Um, you know, try to keep trying to take myself out of myself. It's so hard to see what you've written with any perspective, you know, so you constantly, mm -hmm. I feel like I constantly want to get other opinions so I can, I can make it better. Okay, that sounds cool. And I really appreciate the way you kind of talked about the need to get out of yourself so that you can see things from a different perspective. That's really awesome to hear. Now, another question I have now, this is this is your first Kickstarter, correct? This is my first Kickstarter. Yeah. Okay. So what are some things you're learning about Kickstarter that you may have thought were different before getting into it? Yeah. Um, so um, I've been guided through this process a lot um, by a guy named um, Kevin Gallat. Uh, who runs Inc. Marketing, because I figured if I'm going to do my first Kickstarter, I didn't want to do it alone. Right. Um, you know, but um, yeah, what I've realized, it's like anything on the internet. There is so much content out there. You have to try to find a way to stand out um, or to grab eyeballs for the, the short amount of time that people will be <laughs> flipping through their phone or something. You know, right. you've got the two seconds to grab them. So, um, you know, I think it really... Um, uh, one, I think um, it really helps to do a lot of work in advance and try to build up as much interest and uh, uh, people who have signed up for notifications or whatever as possible so you can come out the gate strong. Um, we were very fortunate. We funded in eight hours, which then took a lot of the pressure off. And, mm -hmm. you know, then we're into stretch goals and talking about the fun stuff and not like wondering whether we're going to make it. Um, you know, I think... Um, uh, for your first one, drumming up friends and family, um, because, uh, you know, once again, there's, I think somebody said there's 4,000 comic books on Kickstarter, you know, at any one time that, that are active. So it's a crowded space. And right. how long are people going to read your story? You know, do you have their attention for 15 seconds, for 30 seconds? And what about your story is going to be more interesting than the other stories that are out there? So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's a great thing. Um, but if you've never done it before, you know, do your research, ping your friends and family, go in as strong as you can because 30 days or whatever you set the time to do will go fast. Um, and uh, it's a lot of work to, to, to promote your stuff. You know, I mean, you, you may think you've done something great and you may have done something great, but um, 
getting people to pay attention is not easy, as I'm sure you know, with mm-hmm. all the podcasts out there and everything else, it's right. we're all competing for people's attention and it's, it's hard. Yep. Now, you mentioned Inc. Studios and you mentioned being a part of the Inc. family. Uh, one of the things I'm going to ask you, being a part of the Inc. Studios family is uh, with being with Kevin and with being some of the other people, I know one of the things he talked about with me was the idea of bringing in people to work with other creators. So let's talk a little bit about the team and the collaborative effort that it takes to create this project. Yeah. So are we talking about the um, the team for actually creatively creating the comic book or the team for the Kickstarter and everything? So I'm talking initially about the team that's creating the comic. I want yeah. to then transition into the team behind uh, the ink the ink crew. Yeah. So for me, um, uh, I've uh, I've been fortunate, I guess, in the sense that I found artists that are kind of one stop shops that that want to ink and color and letter. Um, and, uh, um, and I've had people that I really enjoy working with. I, I have a very strong idea about, um, about how, you know, I really think that stories should be um, very clear in terms of how the story is told. Um, you know, you should know what you're looking at and it should advance the story with every panel, right? Um, and I, maybe that comes from out of a film background or whatever. So I write the, the scripts really carefully. I really think through every panel and, you know, a lot of it comes down to, okay, so there's always a gap of time between two panels, right? So that gap of time could be a millisecond, that gap of time could be, you know, hours, right? So the question is, does the audience know, are they going to be able to infer what happened in that time? If you switch angles or perspectives, are they going to know that you switched angles or perspectives? Mm -hmm. Is switching angles or perspective going to enhance the excitement, the action, the the drama, the story? So so for me, long story short, um, you know, I write script really carefully and then I review every panel really carefully and the, and the artist and I go back and forth. So it's just me and the artist doing the creative work on the book um, mm-hmm. so far. Um, it'd be interesting to bring in other people at another point, but at this point, it's just for each of the three that I'm working on, it's me and an artist um, for, for all of us. And the artists have the harder job. I mean, it, you know, let's face it, it takes me however many hours to write the story. It takes them that times a hundred to draw it. So. Draw it out, right. <laughs> And then to ink it, especially if they're inking it, lettering it and all that, then you add more time to that prospect because inking is a separate whole job skill set. Lettering is a whole different skill set. Coloring is a whole different skill set. Because there's all these mental shifts that have to go through. It's almost like a mental gymnastics course, so to speak, just to do all of that, especially when you're the one doing all of it. So one, another question. One last thing I'll say, sorry, is just with these three comic books, They've all got really different looks and feels because the artist is doing everything. So the lettering is different. The art is different. The style of art is different. Woodstake is very painterly. Um, and the panels are, you know, uh, and the, um, the lettering is, uh, is very subtle and, and worked into the image. Whereas, um, you know, Killing Machine is more traditional comic book, um, you know, and the, and the, you know, word balloons and stuff are, are pop out more. So um, I actually like that because, you know, as a production company, um, I don't want to have everything look the same. So it's kind yeah. of like, you know, I'm responsible for the story and, you know, to some degree how the story is told, but then the look and the feel and everything else comes from the artist and that gives a real variety to the different projects. Definitely, definitely so. And I feel like it's also important to think about, you know, you, you, I love how you talked about, 
seeing the panels and looking at the panels and looking at camera angles and the stuff between the gutter, so to speak, and how that translates out to people because that is a thing because sometimes a comic book can be really wordy. If it's really wordy, sometimes your primary just looking at the pictures catch the story. You're not yeah. even necessarily reading the words. So it's like if you can't catch the story for the pictures, then I'm not going to go back and say to read the words. You know, now I totally agree. Are, yeah, if the pictures I, are I actually found story. I had to add words. My first nine pages were almost not a single word because I was so focused on it. And then I took a step back from it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, that's a little too much. Let's add a few words. Let's add a little dialogue. It will add more to it. But yeah, yeah. I was really taking it to that extreme of, uh, you know, just focusing so much on visual storytelling. But then you layer other pieces back in and it, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's at a good balance now. Yeah, and I've seen comic books that are done. I think uh, there's another uh, magnet press company that's done a whole series of the love series, they call it, where it's all visual storytelling. There are no words. Yeah. That's the majority of the subject matter are animals. Yeah. So all the stories are being told very much to a physical person because animals don't talk in the real world. And so, of course, you're not going to do a thing where it's like, and then I looked over the pier and I saw the fish. Like, that doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> you know, unless you're telling a totally different type of animal story. But, you know, so the idea of the visual storytelling becomes a real, that's the thing I think that separates comics from a lot of other media is the idea of being able to tell those stories from a visual standpoint, going between the panels, look at the, and telling a story that starts on page one, however your panel's gonna start, whether it's a double spread, whether it's a, it's a five by five, a nine by nine, however many panels you're working, and really being able to tell that story so that when they see that artwork, they flow with it, it works, it gets them to the next page, and then it continues to have them turning those pages. Because yeah, you may only have them for however long it takes them to read that comic, but I promise you, if you get they get to the end, they're like, okay, what's the next story gonna be? Yeah. How? What's the next chapter of the story gonna be? That's the hook. It's that you've told this story well enough to where they want to see where the story continues to go. Yeah, I think it's a really pure you know, form in that regard. Like in movies, you've got the soundtrack and you've got all this other stuff adding elements in that can create you know, reaction for you. But on paper, you've got, you've got pictures and you've got words and you don't have too many words because like you said, you can't fill up these, these uh, word balloons with, you know, with paragraphs. So um, it's very pure in that regard. You have to tell the story visually. There is no soundtrack that's going to save you. There's no, you know, uh, you know, great actor performance that's going to save you. It's, right. uh, you know, you, it, you know, I like that. I like that. It's a very pure medium. Now you brought up Kevin and you brought up Inked uh, Studios. So I want to ask a question and turn it kind of on its head a bit to this. Uh, you said doing your first Kickstarter, you really felt it was important to have people around you who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Talk about the Inked Studios crew and tell me how that process helped you overcome some things that you may have felt like, you know, looking at Kickstarter as a landscape and then how they helped you navigate that landscape better. Yeah. So I think in a couple ways. So you know, initially the story, like the story is everything in Kickstarter, right? Um, you're interested in this project and there is your webpage with your story. And that's where people are either going to back or not back, whether they're interested or not. And so, um, you know, I took, you know, probably three weeks, four weeks to write that story. And then Inked went in and moved this around and cut that out. And, you know, um, they've got, 
you know, a, a good marketing perspective and they know they've done 50 some odd Kickstarters. So they have a much better sense and more experience than I do about what is going to, someone's going to respond to. And like I said, Killing Machine is a little bit of a tricky sell because it's not, you know, Woodstake's an easy sell. There's a vampire at Woodstock. I got it. Yep. <laughs> I know what that story is about. I can see that, right? Woodstock vampires. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, got it. No more <laughs> enough said, right? Um, but Killing Machine's a harder story to tell. There's this object that may have created life and there's a robot and there's, you know, a warfare and, there, you know, so um, so they helped me really pare the story down and try to make it as clear as possible. And then also in terms of rewards um, and the tiers, um, because you can really shoot yourself in the foot with the tiers. Like it's easy to get crazy and offer people all this stuff, but you got to make it and fulfill it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and uh, so you got to make sure, like, okay, when it comes to it, how much is it going to cost per piece? How long is it going to take me to get? How long? How much is it going to cost to ship? If I do a tier with all these items, what size package are they going to fit in? Can mm -hmm. I ship to other countries? You know, um, uh, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm offering print copies of the comic book, how many copies am I going to print? Right. There's a shortage of paper going on right now, so it's hard to get stuff printed, right? Um, and so, you know, there was just all of that. Like, I, I don't know how to do this. Some, you know, someone tell me <laughs> how I should set up my tiers. And they went in, they set up my tiers. You know, I set up my tiers and I, I thought long and hard about what swag I was going to offer. But then they went in and tweaked things and, and just helped. And I, I just felt a lot more confident knowing that somebody who would, you know, or a group of people who had done 50 Kickstarters had said, yeah, this looks good. Because if I had just done it myself, I would have been a lot more nervous about um, it being set up in a way that, that people would like. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the tiers I've seen have things like digital scripts or physical scripts. Uh, you mentioned soundtrack earlier, and there's some of the tiers that have a Spotify playlist, Richter's playlist. Yeah. Uh, so was that were the, are these songs that are original music for this, or is this no, song no, 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 okay. no? This is this is pure fun. These this is just like robot inspired music, um, and uh, you know that's just kind of a small add on. I've actually got this great collection, you know. Everything from, you know, Craftwork, uh, We Are the Robots, you know, through, um, you know, Radiohead and, you know, a lot of stuff in between. Um, I may throw some P-Funk in there, <laughs> you know, just anything that's, uh, that's uh, kind of robot themed. I just want to put together a fun, eclectic playlist. Please as tell another... me that you Please tell me that you have sticks, uh, Mr. Roboto. In Mr. There, Roboto so. has got to be in there. <laughs> got to be in there, right? <laughs> yeah, yes. all that kind of stuff. And really, it's just like, um, I mean, that's not a huge add-on, but it's just kind of fun. Once again, it's reaching out and, hey, thanks for backing us. Here's a wacky playlist of robot-inspired music. I hope it puts a smile on your face. And if you don't like one song, hit skip and go to the next. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you'll find something you never heard before or enjoy it. And, and that's that. I was looking for things that we could add in digitally, um, you know, that don't cost a lot, but that are, you know, thank yous. So you get the Spotify you know, uh, at the second level on up and, you know, the second level is 15 bucks for the physical copy and the digital copy. And we throw the Spotify in there for fun. Yep. I got you. So also there's a BTS booklet. Yeah. So I've done a behind the scenes booklet. Um, I spent, okay. So talk about Kickstarter. I spent way too much time on that one. Like, and I got to print up a, a 12 page comic. So that one, uh, more time, more money, more effort than I thought. Um, but uh, I had a lot to say on this. I wanted to talk about, um, you know, um, where the story came from, some of the things that we talked about. 
Uh, I want to talk about how some of the scenes were put together. Uh, the opening scene is inspired by the opening scene of a spaghetti Western called Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm -hmm. And so um, I actually have some stills from the movie. And then I have some of the panels that Michelle did with my notes on them, like let's move oh, wow. this over here. And mm -hmm. that doesn't make sense. And how do we get from here to there? And so I just really wanted to reveal the process of you know, how much thought went into um, assembling this. And uh, I, I think it came out really well. Um, I just, with the paper shortage, knock on wood, I'm gonna get it soon. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, and there's a digital copy at the, you know, at the low, low levels. And then it's a physical, if, if we send you a physical comic book, I think we also send you a physical behind the scenes. I can't remember exactly how the tiers are set up, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some tiers where we get a one-on-one -on -one phone call with you. What's that going to be like? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I just love talking to people. I like meeting people who are interested in the story. Um, you know, uh, I have a wide range of interests in, you know, geek culture and, and artificial intelligence and samurai movies. And, uh, you know, once again, who knows if anyone's going to... Um, gonna uh pick that level or add that on um but once again it's kind of a way to i mean for me the idea of kickstarter is that someone is believing in you someone is backing your project someone is saying hey i think what you're doing is interesting and so you know it, it's kind of like i want to make that a relationship so you yeah. are believing in my project so you know here's some fun music or let's get on the phone and chat um you know, Kevin raised his eyebrows like, yeah, that's not done so much. But I thought, well, you know, what the heck? If nobody buys it, nobody buys it. But, right. um, you know, I miss going, not going to cons, you know, with COVID and everything. And uh, I just think it's really important to stay in touch with people who read this stuff because you're not making it in a vacuum. So um, that was the idea behind that one. And it helps to connect at a different level because then they get the chance to pick your brain and find out, you know, well, why did you do this? And why did you do that? Or is it decisions and things like that? So it's really awesome to hear about somebody like I would have never thought in many years, like, hey, I wanted to sit down with you for 30 minutes and do a talk with you on Zoom and just sit down and talk about this thing and let you ask me questions and I will give you answers. And <laughs> yeah, what, how do you how did you plan out your first Kickstarter? We can talk about that, you know, um, you know, what's it, you know, I, I want to go to the Austin Film Festival. What were you know, was it worth the money? I don't know anything. And uh, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, we're also used to Zooming now. It's, once again, not a big deal to hop on a 30-minute Zoom call. So, right. um, once again, something that's fairly easy to offer that is, you know, like, thank you. And, uh, you know, um, join the family and, uh, you know, uh, get to know us um, kind okay. of thing. So, you said you've got some other projects coming down the pipe. Uh, beyond those subjects, because of course we know with this one you said there's going to be like 14 issues and it's yeah. and all this other stuff. So we're talking about a lot of material going. Yeah. What's your timeline for getting to the end game for this story, for the Killing Machine story? Yeah. So I'm very hopeful that I can get to a point where I can sustain my artists and just not my artists, I, I always hate it when people say that, the artists who have graced me with their work, um, uh, that I can keep them busy. Uh, they all love the stories that they're working on so far. We have a good working relationship. So I'm hopeful that I can just keep paying them and we will keep cranking them out. So Michelle is, honestly, I'm expecting pages 27 and 28 this weekend and that's done with episode one, issue cool. one. And we are going to, um, you know, he's just going to start drawing issue two panel one on Monday. I've written the script for issue two. So 
uh, and we're going to try to do another crowdfunding campaign for issue two because you know I really want to be able to, to sustain to sustain it. Um, if we if we don't get enough support and I can't do it, then um, you know we'll have to see. But um, yeah. you know, got to dream big. Um, oh and yeah. So if we can keep it going, I would say we can get three issues, maybe four done a year. So we could have book one of the hand of God by September of 2023, maybe. I mean, these are long-term projects, but the wonderful thing about this is that if I wanted to make a graphic novel, I couldn't do it. It costs right. too much money mm -hmm. um, and it takes too long and there's no you know, cash coming in. But now as you can serialize each issue and crowdfund each issue and sort of slowly build an audience, maybe, just maybe, you can sustain it. So that's what I'm hoping. Right. And then once you, of course, get those stories out there, then the next step would be the graphic novel. You say, hey, I know some of y'all missed it at this level. But now you have a chance to get the graphic novel and perhaps the graphic novel can have some even sweeter things in it. Like you get the complete package, whatever that looks like. So you've got the, you know, you've got, say, for example, autographed uh, issues one through well, how many ever. And then you've got the trade, you know. And the variant cover. Mm -hmm. And yeah, exactly. It's like it builds on itself over time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, um, that's exactly right. And, and I'm hoping, you know, this first Kickstarter, it's hard, right? Because you're offering someone a single issue um, mm -hmm. and that's harder. Um, that's, you know, why we're doing Spotify and phone call and, you know, right. trying to make it as friendly as possible. But by the mm -hmm. time we get to issue three, it's going to be like, oh, you get one, two, three, right. you know, plus the variant covers of one and two. And now you get one through five. And so, you know, we're hoping to build up steam with it. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. So I'm going to wrap this, kind of start the beginning of process wrapping this up. So the way we're going to start this is this. Um, talking to somebody that's listening that says, you know, I've never done a Kickstarter and I want to do one at some point. What are some things you would give them? What are some pieces of advice you would give them? Um, I, I think the biggest piece of advice that I would give someone is um, we've all got these great ideas in our head, right? Um, and uh, that's different from convincing someone else to open up their wallet and support your idea. And mm -hmm. so you really have to, like I said, lay the groundwork first, um, get your friends to read it, get your friends excited about it. Um, try to get out of yourself and realistically step back and say, if I didn't know this, person myself would i would i fund this what's special about this what's unique about this what right. um you know so um you know it's it's kind of where the rubber meets the road you know we um and so be really try to be really honest with yourself because there's a lot of competition and uh and i don't mean to discourage anybody like i think it's the greatest thing in the world you can throw something up on kickstarter and hey if it doesn't catch the first time and you don't meet your friend funding goal it doesn't mean you can't do it again right treat it as a learning experience you know, and move on, but, but really try to be realistic about what sets your story apart or your, your art apart or what you're trying to do apart, or if nothing sets you apart, just what would make people excited about it, knowing how many emails and, and Facebook posts and stuff you see in a day, um, you know, which are the ones that grab your eye and why, um, that's, that's the hard thing. It's always hard to take something that's really internal and personal and then throw it up to the world for judgment. Um, right. you, know, you are kind of being judged because people are either giving you money or not. And that's, a right, judgment. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it can be hard. So, and putting yourself out there is a thing too, but also learning how to really take a market because you're not just writing it. Your artist isn't just drawing it. 
the letter isn't just lettering it. You've got to sit down and be like, okay, I've got to be a marketing machine for at least the next 30 days and beyond. Because you're starting this thing where you're trying to get the snowball at the top of the hill. You're trying to get it up enough to start building up the steam it needs in order so that it becomes a bigger snowball. Yeah. And it rolls over time. But you've got to get the, but you've got to keep on the, you got to keep the foot on the gas, so to speak. You can't just put it out there and think, oh, it's going to fund itself, you know, because you've got to be able to get people in there who are funny. Because I think I've heard it said the first 24 to 48 hours and the last 24 to 48 hours are the most important steps in your Kickstarter. But the thing about it is, as you get people in, the hardest part really is the middle. Yeah. Because it's one thing to start it, and it's another thing to finish it. But what are you doing in between to make sure that it finishes well? Yeah, and we're we're we've slumped a little bit. We came out of the gate really strong, and now we're in you know in that second act slump here a little bit, and we're trying really hard to to get it out to people who haven't seen it. And you know, um, I do think those last few days are important because everyone's like, oh, I've heard about this, and ah, I might as well do it before it's gone. But right. when you've got seventeen days left, which is what we've got, it's a little harder. Um, so yeah, uh, I haven't experienced the end of it yet. We can we can talk about that again. Um, yep. You know, once I've been through it once. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's uh, we'll see how it all goes. Okay, all right. Appreciate that. It's worth of wisdom as it relates to putting together a Kickstarter and different things like that. So we're gonna start with the thing. Uh, tell us the links where they can find the work. Tell us the links where they can find you. Uh, different things like that. Just start talking about yourself. <laughs> yeah, sure. So. Um, uh, SeanHainsworthProductions.com is the website, um, and it's just my name, Sean Hainsworth Productions. Um, the uh, Kickstarter, probably the easy, you can go to Kickstarter and search for Killing Machine. That's easy to do. Um, you can also go to inked.pub forward slash The Killing Machine, and that will take you over there. Um, so finding stuff on Kickstarter is pretty easy. Uh, there is a Killing Machine uh, page on Facebook. There is a Woodstake page on Facebook. There is a Sean Hainsworth Productions page on Facebook. Um, and uh, on the website, you can sh- sign up uh, to be on the email list. I'm trying to send out um, you know, weekly emails on all the projects. Um, there is a YouTube channel. Uh, I've been doing some videos about uh, kind of looking at comic art um, you know, from, a, from a perspective of trying to just uh, understand um, you know, how decisions are made and, and, and that kind of thing. So. Uh, all the usual channels, um, YouTube, Facebook, um, we're on Instagram, um, Sean Hainsworth Productions, not hard to find. Okay, good deal. And I appreciate you sharing that information. Uh, I hope that nothing but the best for you on the project. I know it's funded already, but we still want to see it do well because we want to go into the next book ahead of the curve. We definitely don't want to be going in there trying to figure out how to make it happen. We want to be working towards getting it done. In this exactly. Program. Yeah, that's part of the thing. It's like, oh, it's funded, but no, no, keep <laughs> keep going, and we're gonna get some great sweat, uh, you know, great stretch goals in there. Right now, we're offering two additional PDFs: um, Fractured Shards Number One, which is a you know very successful um, comic book that just funded on Volume Two, and uh, you know we got uh, Frank Forte's um, Warlash in there, so you kind of get a little comic book starter set right now, and we're looking for more stretch goals. Who is Guy Fleegman? Ah. Guy Fleegman is the um, the uh, Sam Rockwell character from Galaxy Quest. Um, so uh, if any if you have not seen Galaxy Quest, you must immediately go out and watch Galaxy Quest. Quest. It's really <laughs> hilarious. But Guy Fleegman is sort of the red shirt character in Star Trek, you know, the unknown uh, guy who beams down to the planet and dies to show how dangerous the situation is. 
Um, he's just called Guy in the beginning. He doesn't even have a name. Um, but then they figure out that he's not the guy who's supposed to die on the planet. He's actually plucky comic relief. And that's when he gets his last name, Fliegman. But uh, anyway, th that was a level where you could, uh, it was draw you into the comic where you could be somebody who died on the planet. Um, but we sold out of those right now. I'm not sure if I'm going to open it up again, just because um, I've got issue two written and uh, I, I'm not sure how many other new faces I can shoehorn in there, but we'll do it again for issue two. Yep. So, I was about to say, because then your artist, you call it back and it's like, hey, we open up the thing for like 10 more people. And he said, they're going, really? <laughs> exactly. Did we, did we really have to do that for this? Like, could we avoid it for the next book? I thought about it and I closed it off the other day because I thought, no, I just, it's done. Issue two is ready to go. So <laughs> 38 dead people later, it's just like, all right. Exactly. You're all on a <laughs> shuttle that crashes at once. But also, if you, if you pay that kind of money, I want to give you a good death, right? Not a mass death. You got to have a good mm -hmm. death. So. Like, this is the part where you fight the robot and you almost survive. And then, like, yeah. you go to do the counter and, like, the robot just comes through and punches you. And, like, everything just blows out the back. Like, it's literally like you just got shot by a shotgun, except it's the piston fist of a robot. You know, it's like, oh. And then you, like, float into space and just fall away. <laughs> yeah, someone who bought one just sent me an email and said, do I get visible entrails? It's like, well, let me think about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... The, that that's what you do for like the alternate covers like at some point you just start doing alternate yeah. covers for the people it's just like all right we need to find other artists because we're going to do these alternate covers where these people are dying on these yeah. covers It'll, why does this cover have 15 dead people on it uh, it you know it's like the laser shot that's just going all around and just yeah exactly. people in half it's like the the razor blade of the laser blade the laser blades of doom <laughs> yeah i didn't want to bend the story too much to fit the reward Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Mr. Hainsworth, I thank you so much for coming on this episode of Conversations About Dot, Dot, Dot with me. I appreciate you talking about your Kickstarter. I appreciate you talking about The Killing Machine and Samurai movies and all sorts of great stuff with uh, writing and all that stuff. So I hope that you, you, everybody listening to this that has not supported it, we're going to make sure all the links are in the, in the description notes and everything. You can go, you can go check this out. You say, I want to support this. I hope you jump on it and support it now. I believe we've got something that's really awesome here and a good long story. So they're planning on putting this. You, it's important to not only plan for the beginning in mind, but the plan for the end in mind. It sounds like Sean's got a really good plan in mind for this story. And then you're going to get to see all these other stories like vampires of Woodstock and crazy robots doing indecent things and all sorts of other <laughs> stuff. So. Exactly. And we've got the tip jar. So, you know, if it's tough after the holidays, just go drop a buck in the tip jar know what you let us know you're out there and uh maybe issue two issue three but um we'd love to have you join the join the family so at there any level go. yeah there you go so appreciate you guys listening to us check it out like i said check out the check out the notes in the bottom of the description and we'll make sure to put the links in there for you go check that out and above all else guys thank you for joining the conversation with us where we've been talking with sean hainsworth about his book the killing machine do me a favor be blessed to be a blessing to somebody guys take care